You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that my Flex of Gold Journal for Mothers is on sale right now through Mother's Day. In this journal, you write down one golden moment that you experience with your children each day, and I want to start this episode with a voice memo that I received from a mom in this community who's been using the journal for the past year and has seen it make a big difference in her mothering. Let's hear from her. Hi, Rachel. My name is Allie. I live in the Bay Area in California, and I have two little boys. And I have loved writing in my Flex of Gold journal because when I got it, I kind of bought it for myself because I was going through this very discouraging time of parenthood where I felt like it was always like one step forward, two steps back, and I just needed a reminder of why I was doing this. And I think having The Flex of Gold Journal has helped me to notice the little things that are going well in the day, since one of my children brings a lot of challenges and has helped me to be a more present parent. So I'm just very grateful for it. It has definitely changed my mindset about the little tiny positive moments and helping me to sit in them and be present and enjoy them. And I know the phrase says that the people who are happiest are the ones who realize that they are. And this book has helped me to realize when I am happy or when things are going good. So thank you so much. I'm very grateful for it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Allie. I love that quote, that the happiest people are the ones who realize they are. And I know from personal experience that sometimes it's easy for our busy lives to pass by us without us even realizing that we're happy. The journal definitely helps me to pause and notice the joy I feel being a mother. If you would like to get a copy, it is on sale now through Mother's Day for $5 off, and you can use the code 3in30 for an additional 10% off as well. Just go to 3in30podcast.com slash flex, F-L-E-C-K-S of gold.com to get yourself this gift for Mother's Day. Welcome to 3in30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Let me set the scene. Your four-year-old wants to wear her princess heels on a family hike. Your son wants to bring his new robot toy, a birthday gift from grandma no less, to the children's museum where you know it will get lost and you just don't want one more thing to keep track of. Your child asks to have a sleepover and you aren't sure if you're comfortable with that. Your kids want to watch just one more episode of a show or prolong bedtime for that book you promised but never got to and you just do not have the emotional energy for World War III tonight. Power struggles in parenting are a normal daily occurrence, but they can get downright exhausting. Fortunately, our guest on the show today is going to teach us all about how to minimize the power struggles that we have with our children. Danae Barahona is a mother of two and the founder of Simple Families, a podcast and online community that focuses on positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. As a mama with a doctorate degree in child development, Danae's perspectives are grounded in research, but more importantly, real life. When I asked Danae if power struggles are something she faces in her home with her two young children, she said, and I quote, yes, every day, every hour, maybe even every minute. (laughs) If that's not relatable, I don't know what is. 
I can't wait for you to hear more from her. So let's dive right in. Here we go. Hi, Danae. Welcome to 3 and 30. Thanks for having me. This is a long time coming. I know. I am so excited to finally get to talk to you. We are colleagues in this parenting podcast space, and I just have so much admiration for you and your work. And one of my favorite things about your work is that it's not just based on your personal experience. It's also based in your PhD in child development, plus your parenting experience, which makes it even more practical than it otherwise might be if it was all just based in what you had learned in school. So what was the timeline of that? Did you have children while you were completing your PhD or how did that timeline work out in your life? So I have a bachelor's and a master's in clinical social work. So I started out doing more traditional child and family therapy and then went on to do a post-grad certification in behavior analysis. And mm -hmm. then I was basically a perfect parent without ever being a parent. <laughs> I knew everything, <laughs> everything that parents yeah. needed to know. And I actually did. I'm sort of embarrassed to admit now that I did parent education before I had kids because yeah. I think the advice and the work that I did was just so not grounded in reality. Not yes. to say that you can't do parent education without being a parent, but I have fundamentally changed my approach in so, so many ways since yeah. then. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I was actually finishing my PhD coursework when I had my first child and then doing my dissertation when I had my second one. So it was kind of in the wrapping up stages. So my first years of motherhood were very much home, doing my dissertation during nap times, while for all intents and purposes felt like a stay-at-home mom. Mm, yeah. But while also doing this deep learning and research about child development, I mean, that must have yeah. been so interesting. What was your dissertation on? So my dissertation research area was in child wellness. And specifically, my dissertation was on looking at the parental approach to feeding young children and the impact that it has on picky eating. Interesting. Okay. Well, we may need to have you back for an episode on that then. <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> That's a polarizing topic. Yes. <laughs> And today we're going to talk about power struggles, which can show up in eating as well. Yeah. We're going to talk about three takeaways for navigating, hopefully loosening up, lessening power struggles in our homes. And is this something that you face in your home, Danae, power struggles with your kids? Yes. Every day, <laughs> every hour, maybe every minute. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody does. Whether or not you call it that or you see it as that, I think we all experience it. Yes. Amen to that. And especially with kids with certain temperaments can lead to more power struggles than others. I've definitely seen that to be true with my two kids. And so I'm really looking forward to your takeaways on this. And why don't we jump right in with your first takeaway? Sure. So my first takeaway is you don't need to show your kid who's boss because they already know. <laughs> I love that. Many of us, or not everybody, but many of us have this internalized belief that part of our job as a parent is to show our kids who's boss. And that means asserting our dominance, for lack of better words. And mm -hmm. I think this comes in many ways from the way that we were raised. I know that the generation of parents that came before us, many of them were more authoritarian, more the because I said so, do what I say because I said so, and I'm bigger than you and stronger than you. And I just, I really challenge that idea that we need to show our kids who's boss because everything about the parent-child relationship really lends itself to the fact that our kids already know. Mm. We're bigger than them. We're louder than them. We're smarter than them for lack of life experience that they have. And, you know, we control the money. We control the way that the time is spent. We are in control of nearly everything and have power 
over so many, many aspects of their lives. Mm. And really our job is to slowly hand that power off as they get older. You know, that's really what we're doing little by little, handing bits and pieces of that off until they have all the power and can control themselves and they can manage that power successfully. Mm. So feeling like we need to control and to dominate, I think is a misconception. It's really looking at how do we slowly hand it off so that they can grow and flourish on the timeline that's right for them. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I laughed when I read that takeaway that it's so true. Obviously, they know who's boss. And yet, when you're in the middle of a power struggle with your kid and you're feeling triggered, it really does feel like they don't know that I'm boss and I need to show them because how dare they talk back or push back or, you know, especially with certain personalities of kids, it can seem like they don't know that there's a difference between adults and children. And we can sort of take it upon ourselves to think that we need to prove it to them or teach it to them. I have a child who is very, very smart. When you said we're smarter than them, I thought, well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You are right about I have more life experience, but he will like turn it around on me. And if I do give in to him, he'll say stuff like, well, now I know that if I say this, you'll let me have what I want. And little things like that, that you're like, ugh, he can see through me. You feel like you lost. Yes. In those kind of, like he got the best of you. Yeah. So how do you have this more respectful relationship with kids, especially within power struggles, without allowing them to think that they won, if that makes sense? I think reminding ourselves that there is no winner. And I don't know that your kid is going to really get that, especially if they have a competitive spirit. They're going to try to win just like parents are inclined to try to win. Mm. But thinking about it less as winning and more about your developing this relationship, the parent-child relationship that's based on meeting each other's needs. And you're not really looking for power. You're looking for compliance. And when A lot of people say, my kid thinks they're in control. Really, what's happening is the kid isn't complying with what they want them to do. They aren't following directions. They're doing their own thing. And that can be very frustrating for parents. And even the parents who try to be incredibly intentional and positive, you know, when we're squeezed, what comes out is often, do what I say because I said so, because I'm bigger than you and stronger than you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think even reframing it for our kids that way, that there's no winner and loser. Because I could see my son saying, like, I won. And if I just said, well, actually, there's no winner or loser. We're just trying to get everyone's needs met in the family. And sort of having that calm response that teaches kids, like, she is in control in a good way. She's in control. And I think that helps kids to feel safe within the power struggles. Yeah. And the first step in managing a power struggle is noticing it because often we are in the thick of it without even noticing that it's happening. Mm -hmm. So when we notice it, then we can soften, like you said, how do we take a breath and breathe into it? It's like, oh, this is a power struggle. I see it and I can respond to it. I don't Mm -hmm. have to try to take the power back. I can simply focus on what the conversation is at hand, what the need is at hand and meet them in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Public Goods, an online marketplace designed for the conscious consumer where you can get everything from coffee to toilet paper, shampoo to pet food. 
I especially love their home cleaning products. The packaging from Public Goods is so aesthetically pleasing, with simple black fonts on beautiful white bottles, no bright colors and mismatched packaging. Paired with some fresh cut flowers, it's the perfect look for spring. The products look clean and simple on my counter, and they make me smile every time I walk by. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products, which they then offer to their customers using a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation, and we've worked out an awesome deal for 3 and 30 listeners. Receive $15 off your first Public Goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash 3in30 or use code 3in30 at checkout. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash 3in30 to receive $15 off your first order. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. My friends, how are you doing? (laughs) Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Burnout can look like lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, and more. Today on the show, we are talking about power struggles with our kids, and parenting is a major cause of burnout, especially when we get into cycles of conflict with our children that are not productive and leave the energy in our home feeling tense or just off. I am so grateful to have a professional counselor in my life to help me process my experiences and my roles as a parent, business owner, wife, and friend. Without a counselor, I might feel alone and even embarrassed by my behaviors and thought processes, but now I can more quickly identify patterns in my life that are actually just normal human behavior, but can lead to unhealthy coping mechanisms if ignored for too long. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and 3 in 30 listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash 3 in 30. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 in 30. So my second takeaway is developing a shared agenda will increase respect and decrease the struggle. Hmm. So a shared agenda is an interesting concept. And if you were raised by a because I said so style parent, then it's probably going to feel very foreign to you. So I think that obedience comes naturally to animals because, you know, they follow you around and do tricks when you ask them to do tricks and go outside when you need them to go outside. But our kids are different in obedience in that they have their own wants and needs and dreams and hopes and agendas. They have ways that they like to spend their time, even the youngest of kids, two-year-olds. You know, they want to be building that block tower. And when you tell them it's time to eat, that's frustrating to them because they have their own agenda. And we, as the adult, often prioritize our own agenda. Like, well, you need to eat. It's time to eat. So this is more important than what you're doing. So if instead of seeing it as a lack of compliance and thinking about it as, oh, they're doing something that's really important to them right now. I also have something that's really important. How do we come together and both see each other and see what each other needs, right? So Mm -hmm. in going up to that child and saying, I see that you're having a really good time building that block tower. The next time it falls, let's wrap it up, pick it up, and then we'll go eat some dinner. 
you know, letting them finish what they're working on, respectfully acknowledging that what they're doing is important to them. And then also putting out that request there that it is time to go to dinner now. So when we can see them and we can hear them and understand their agenda and they feel respected, they're going to be more likely to respect our agenda too. Yeah, that makes so much sense. That's something that I've really tried to work on in my home of letting them finish what they're doing or watching or whatever within reason, because how annoying would it be if someone came into my office and said, no, you need to go right now. And I'm like, I'm wrapping up what I'm working on. And they're like, no, put it down. Come right now. I mean, that would be like, if that were your romantic relationship, that would be like an abusive relationship. Yes. If someone was always just, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and yet their play is their work. So when they're in the middle of building something, that's like somebody interrupting you in the middle of a podcast recording and being like, Danae, turn it off now. We're going, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I have this often when I'm really rigid. So I'm really rigid about bedtime, like seven o'clock lights out. I want to sit down on the sofa by myself, right? That's just kind of how I work. So when like 6.57 comes and people are not moving at the pace that I want them to Mm -hmm. move, I get very rigid. And like last night, my son was sitting on his bed flipping through a book and he was, it was a big picture book and he was about halfway through. It was like 6.59. And I just wanted to be like, put it away. You're done. It's bedtime. You know, that rigidity that I experienced was setting in. But, you know, he was half done with the book. Like there was really no harm in letting him flip through the rest of the book. But instead, I was like, oh, we got to go to bed right now. And I felt that power struggle start to emerge. Him saying, I'm not ready yet. I'm just about to finish this book. And I could see, physically see that there were only a couple pages left, that it wasn't going to be a long time. And seeing my own rigidity and noticing my tendency to try to control come up was really helpful for me because I was like, oh, okay. Little self-talk there, Danae. It's not the end of the world if he flips through a few more pages and goes to bed a few minutes after bedtime. It's going to be okay. So Mm. I find a lot of comfort in that. And I am able to sort of soften and be more understanding when I see my kids' agenda. Yeah. And I do think that with this particular issue of letting kids finish, we also need to recognize that their brains aren't as developed as ours. Their executive functioning skills aren't as developed, especially if they're a neurodiverse kid, that... You can't just walk away and expect them to stop because that's something that I, so I'll say to my kids, you can finish this episode or you can finish this tower or this page in the book, and then you need to turn it off or close it. And I think I forget that they, in some cases, really don't have the ability to stop. And so I need to stay there with them, sit on the bed and wait for him to finish his page. And then when I can see he's done, say, okay, you're done. Let's wrap it up. Because I get angry when I walk away and they don't stop and I come back and then I'm like, well, why should I let you finish what you're working on if you don't respect the end point that I gave you? But just remembering that they're still developing that. And that's hard for me because I'm a doer. And so I'm like, okay, in the five minutes that they're finishing, I'll go and I'll do this thing. When really I'm like, Rachel, just sit down and breathe. (laughs) Right. Be with your child. Do you call yourself by your name too? (laughs) Yes. In your mind, you do that? I definitely do that. (laughs) So what you just described was a transition. And when kids are little, when they're two, three, we, we know that a difficulty with transitioning looks like having a tantrum, leaving the playground, yelling and getting upset. But as they get older, sometimes they still struggle with transitions and it looks different. It's not usually, I mean, sometimes it's still loud and angry, but sometimes it's not. You know, I think about last night, my son was in the shower and I called up to him. I was like, did you wash your hair? And he's like, oh yeah. (laughs) And then he had to wash his hair. I'm like, 
did you wash your body? Okay, doing that now. And then like five minutes later, are you ready to get out of the shower? Oh, okay. You know, he still needs that prompting. He's eight and he struggles to transition out of doing something. So once he washes his hair, he kind of gets lost in something and then forgets to move on to the next thing of his body. And then once he's done washing his body, he just kind of stands there enjoying the peace of a shower. I mean, who doesn't, right? Absolutely. My favorite. (laughs) Yes. And then needs prompting to get out. So you're right. I think that need for prompting for transitions still persists longer than we would like it to often, but it's fairly innocent unless we bring emotionally charged energy to it. Mm. You know, like if I go in there screaming, like, get out of the shower. I told you to wash your body five minutes ago. What are you still doing in here? Then, yeah, then we got a power struggle and then we've got irritability. But I think if we see it as, hey, this kid still has a developing brain that needs some prompting it's okay. It's not a sign of disrespect. It's a sign of just a lack of development at this point. So I think it's the lens that we see it through makes a big impact in our reaction. Absolutely. What we make it mean about us, about them, you know, this means that they will never be able to hold down a job and be respectful to a boss. Yeah. Or this means that they don't respect me. And what does that mean about, you know, it's like when really it's just your kid wants to finish the page they're reading in the book or, (laughs) or the show (laughs) that they're watching, you know, and that one's a big trigger for me because everything around screens I think is triggering for parents and the guilt and are we letting them watch too much? And so then I'm like, see, They are addicted and I'm a bad mom for letting them and I should just cut it all off when really it's like everybody wants to finish the show they're watching when they're in the middle of a show and just kind of de-escalating it in my own mind and not making it mean anything about me or about them. Yeah. And I think there's so much irony in this idea that we don't often let kids finish and we rush them towards our agenda. But then we also complain that their attention spans aren't long enough, you know, and all they want to do is spend time on screens and really, if you were in the middle of a task, like you were editing your podcast and I said, Rachel, you need to stop right now. Like you said, you would be distraught about stopping in the middle of something that you're working on. And we do that to kids all the time and we don't think much of it, you know, when we're interrupting our kids. It's so true. So what is your third takeaway? My third takeaway is stand your ground, but don't dig your heels in. Hmm. Now, I think this is really important because this phrase, stand your ground, is familiar to a lot of people. And when we do that, I imagine standing your ground and literally digging your heels in and not budging. Mm -hmm. And I think when we stand our ground, we can stand lightly and be willing to take a step forward. Mm -hmm. And that means hand over a little bit of that power every day for our kids. And trying to view the power struggles differently. So I think that when they're small, power struggles look different. You know, when you have a kid that won't get buckled into the car seat, you can lift them up and put them in there physically. So the power struggles when they're small don't feel as strong. Those tugs and pulls for power, they're there, but they're easy for us to kind of push it down and ignore it. But when they get older, the power struggles are bigger and stronger Mm. because they're asking for more power back. And if you have a kid that is consistently getting into power struggles with you, I think you need to take a look at, okay, maybe I do need to hand over more power and more control. And what are some ways that I can do that? Mm. And for me, a lot of times giving some of that power back looks like giving them more control over their time. So just like the reading the book example, giving them three minutes to finish the book. 
so often we control the way that our kids spend their time. And when they're young, like you said, with the screen time, like we want to avoid the screens. We want to have all of these sort of idealized images of what comes next. You know, we get up, maybe you watch 30 minutes of TV, we sit down as a family, we eat dinner, and then we do this. And we structure the way that the days go. And then as they get older, at what point do they get to structure the way their days go and what comes next? And if you're a parent that struggles with wanting all that control, I am definitely one of those parents, handing that control back over the way that they spend their time is hard. Mm, Yeah. And how do you do that? Your kids are little. How much control do you give them over how they spend their time and how do you decide that as a parent? Well, I'm not very good at it. I'm working on it. (laughs) They're five and eight. So we're kind of at this pivotal point where I still do schedule their days and I still do structure their days a lot, but I am becoming more aware of their need for independence all the time. So if you have a kid that loves screen time, I think with younger kids, the more structure is better. But as they get older, telling them you can have an hour of screen time tonight, whatever point you want. You want it before dinner? Do you want it after dinner? Giving them some flexibility around what comes when is Mm -hmm. a good starting point. Everything doesn't always have to happen in the order and at the exact time that you want it to happen, Mm -hmm. which is hard for me because I'm a highly structured, scheduled person. So the way that I structure my days make the most sense, right? Of course, you're going to eat dinner and then take a shower. Like, why would you take a shower and put your pajamas on before dinner? Mm. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, if your kid really wanted to take a shower and get dressed before dinner, have dinner, and then do screen time after dinner, is there really any harm in that? Mm-hmm. Kind of always asking yourself, is it really a problem or is it just not what you think they should be doing? Yeah. Is this annoying or is this a real problem? Yeah. And I think with this takeaway about stand your ground, but stand lightly, I like that you said, be willing to take a step forward. You don't have to stand your ground just to stand your ground. And you're not making any forward progress in your relationship or your home because you're so dead set on standing your ground. And so with your kids, even when you're locked in a power struggle at that moment, I think if you can pause and say, what can I give up right now to take a step forward and just get down on the ground and say, Hey buddy, what do you need right now? What's going on? You know, and just be willing to let go of a little of that, even in the moment of the power struggle, if that makes sense. Yeah. And just how much that teaches modeling that relationship of you giving a little and how they need to see that because they're going to have to do that their whole lives in intimate relationships. Yeah. Do you have an example of a time recently in your home when you were able to do that, when you were able to see that you were locked in a power struggle and kind of soften and figure it out with your child? Yeah. So actually this weekend I went skiing with my family and my kids are pretty new skiers and they don't really have the capacity to go out for a whole day, but we drove an hour and a half to get there, an hour and a half to get back. And gosh darn it, like in my mind, we were going to make a day of it. Hmm. And they did an hour lesson. And then I had told them that we're going to ski as a family afterwards. And it was freezing and I was miserable. And my kids were basically after their lesson, like, can we go home? Hmm. And that rigid nature in me was like, no, we are not going home because we drove all the way up here and we're going to ski. We're going to ski as a family and we are going to have fun. (laughs) <laughs> and the reality was nobody was having fun. No one was having fun. It was freezing and we were just exhausted and it was crowded. 
And for me, I said, we're going to do this. And we drove all the way up here. So we're going to do it. But the fact of the matter was of the four of us, nobody even wanted to. Mm. So standing our ground on that would have made all of us more miserable. And I think it's interesting to think about that, how often standing your ground may actually just make everyone involved miserable Including rather you. than, <laughs> yes, rather than progressing forward. So, you know, we like all looked at each other. We're basically like, yeah, we all want to go home. And then we all went home and we were all happy. It was much better that way. And just being willing to pivot, even if you said something and you committed to something, if it doesn't turn out to be the right thing, you know, how can you give a little power back and lean into what everybody needs rather than just what you had in mind? Yeah. That's such a great example. It made me think that sometimes we almost have power struggles with ourselves. That we're like, I said that we were going to do this and I'm going to follow through. And it's like, why? So you're going to be miserable all day? Like you have to (laughs) renegotiate and soften with yourself too and say like, it's okay to pivot and be flexible here. Yeah, you are so right about that. I think we lock ourselves into things and we don't let ourselves change our minds. And that's, that's dangerous territory. It really is. Well, Danae, this has been so wonderful. I know moms are going to walk away feeling more equipped to head into their morning or afternoon or evening whenever they're listening to this. I hope they'll feel like, okay, I can move into the next moment with my kids. The power struggles will come probably in the next hour and use some of these takeaways to make their family life a little more peaceful and closer and more connected. If the mothers listening want to get in touch with you or your work, what would you recommend? Where should they start? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at simple underscore families. You can also find my podcast wherever podcasts are found. It's just called Simple Families. Okay, great. And I know you're also doing some one-on-one coaching this year, aren't you, with families? Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So if they want to work directly with you, they can. So yep. we'll put all of that information in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you. I loved this conversation and the powerful reminder that there is no winner and loser when it comes to power struggles and building relationships with our children. What a gift it would be to teach our children that, to create an environment where we feel mutually respected and can learn to clearly communicate without automatically going into a power struggle over every little thing. I'm so grateful to Danae for being willing to share her professional expertise, as well as a real life look into how it applies to her family life. To recap, here are Danae's three takeaways for minimizing power struggles with our kids. First, you don't need to show your kids who's boss. They already know. (laughs) It's important to just notice when a power struggle is starting because often it is hard to see what's happening when we're in the thick of it. But once you notice and realize that you don't have to show them who's boss, you can take a deep breath and move into the next steps in this process, such as takeaway two. Develop a shared agenda with your child to increase respect and decrease struggle. Our children come with their own unique dreams, goals, and agendas. If we can seek to understand their agenda, they're going to be more likely to respect our agenda. For example, instead of seeing their resistance as a lack of compliance, keep in mind that they're doing something that's really important to them right now, like building a block tower, and we also have something that's really important to us, like eating family dinner. How can we come together and see what each other needs and work together? Which leads to takeaway number three. Stand your ground, but don't dig in your heels. 
We can stand lightly and be willing to take a step forward towards our child. And sometimes this looks like being willing to pivot. Even if you said something and you committed, if it doesn't turn out to be the right thing, you can give a little power back and lean into what your child needs rather than just what you had in mind. It's important to be a sturdy leader in your family, but also compassionate and flexible with the wellness of everyone in mind. Before we end the episode, don't forget about the Flex of Gold sale that's going on right now for Mother's Day. If you're listening to this the week that it airs, you should still be able to get it by Mother's Day. So pause the podcast right now and go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to order your copy. The sale only happens twice a year, so it's a great time to grab a few as gifts and to start a new daily practice in your life that will help you to see the good in your children so you can endure the power struggles. As always, thank you so much for being here, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.